Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. We're talking sports today that some people don't even imagine was a sport, and it's now the fastest-growing sport basically in the world by far. Yes, eSports. Rick Haro with Global Puba editor Dan Calaruso. How are you, Puba? I'm feeling Pubalicious today. Um, good, good. I will tell you, Rick, I, I will give you your props because as an older gentleman, let's say, you were one of the first people to kind of turn me on to kind of the impact esports was having economically, uh, you know, across the, the mediums and across the, the news platforms and also across the, the leagues and the franchises. So, I mean, the, the growth has been spectacular. I mean, this, is, this has gone from being a backwater to, uh, or at least a, a nascent thing, to being instantly recognizable, right? Yeah, I, I do appreciate the fact that uh, being in my second half century, you did give me some kudos in some context for it's about time. But in this one, as far as the ability to identify something that's traditionally been millennial related, but this is way, way, way beyond millennials, as we'll see. Kind of, And then we're going to add this to our regular rotation, esports. It's a big deal. There was a special committee sponsored by the U.S. Conference of Mayors at their meeting in in Boston this last weekend. It's chaired by Buddy Dyer, the mayor of Orlando, but a whole host of who is it in the esports entertainment industry was there. And one of the interesting things was they talked about this as being a $200 billion global yeah. industry, and yeah. it's growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah, and, and all the leagues are involved, right? NBA 2K, there's 18 or 19 franchises. I think it was 17 a while back. It must be up to 20 now uh, in the NBA 2K. The Wilpons have a uh, an esports venture. I mean, everyone on it is probably hurt, but the esports, <laughs> the will can't, can't you know, pitch. So, so all the traditional sports plays again involved. I think there are three interesting things that we talk about here. Um, which is we talk about a young audience, right. right? We talk about the interactivity and interactive as the new live, and that having an added value component. And then you, we also roll in in this interview you did this week with Jeff Williams, uh, the specter of public money right. going to to support a, a, an arena or a venue for these esports. So I think all that kind of really rolls into a very interesting economic equation around the sports business these days. Well, of all the people we could have interviewed first in all of this, obviously the team guys, and there was a team guy who is now the director of esports with the Celtic logo on it. It's mm. like, I've never seen a card like that. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then we had a guy who was a big corporate guy and a big event promoter. But the one we want to talk about first is Jeff Williams, because in my whole world... He's the mayor of Arlington, Mayor Texas. of Arlington, Texas. And in my whole world of public-private partnerships, it's a stadium for football, baseball, basketball, hockey. How much public money? How much grief do you get? Where's the referendum? Where's the bonds? And you get it done. Jeff Williams took over for Mayor Cluck who was the one that did basically AT&T Stadium and Globe Life, the one for the Rangers. Right. They've got a tremendous legacy in Arlington of using sports as economic development. But 90% of his interview, as we'll hear in a minute, is all about the dynamics of esports. And here's a guy who's in his 50s. He has an engineering business, civil engineer. He had no idea what Twitter or the Internet was before. And now let's hear Jeff Williams, the mayor of Arlington, Texas. He sounds like the worldwide expert of esports. 
We're here at the U.S. Conference of Mayors in Boston, Marty Walsh's conference. We talk about innovative public-private partnerships. And the sports piece doesn't dominate the landscape, but it is in the landscape. And we have a combination of sports and entrepreneurialism. How do you take esports and turn it into a viable economic engine in a city? Well, Mayor Jeff Williams has one of the answers. How are you? Doing great, Rick. Good to be here today. Appreciate it. So, first of all, talk a little bit about the strides that Arlington, Texas has made before we even get into esports, kind of like the Rangers and the Cowboys, etc. You are known as a center of facility development in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Well, we are, Rick. It's been an exciting uh, time. We are home to the Dallas Cowboys, home to the Texas Rangers, and more importantly, home to AT&T Stadium, which has become the world's greatest special event center. And the Washington Post has called Arlington the sports capital of the nation as we've hosted the Super Bowl, the World Series, Major League Baseball All-Star Game, NBA All-Star Game, the Final Four, National College Football Championship. I could go on and on. Probably one of the, the wildest was the, the WrestleMania, the Super Bowl of Wrestling. Well, and, and obviously there are sports and entertainment economic impacts attached to all that, and now you're into building a new public-private partnership facility for the Texas Rangers. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, uh, what an opportunity here. Uh, you know, in the surveys that Major League Baseball and the Rangers had done, they saw there was great opportunity to grow baseball with the Millennials in North Texas if they would build a retractable roof stadium that would uh, help the climate because we have hot summers there but also the fact that we could have other special events there year-round and what an opportunity that is in fact uh, Jerry Jones of the Cowboys was one of the first to congratulate us when we were building our our new 40,000 seat special event center beside the greatest special event center there at AT AT&T Stadium Let's talk about one of the most novel ideas we've had in years, and I must confess, even though I'm a sports business guy, my cynicism abounded when we talked about esports being a sport. But now we understand that leagues are drafting teams, they're buying teams, etc. But the facility aspect of it is something entirely new for a public-private partnership. Talk about what you're doing in that space. Yes, it is. What an opportunity we had. We actually had New York University study what we should go into next in sports. Here came eSports. Well, the time is now. The need is here. And in fact, companies are spending millions of dollars to advertise and sponsor. So consequently, there are no eSports stadiums in the center of the country. And we have one in Vegas and one in L.A., So it makes sense with us there in Arlington, right at the gateway to DFW Airport, to be building an eSports stadium that is going to be state-of-the-art. And, of course, we're in Texas. It's going to be the biggest and best. Describe what it is for people that can't get their hands around what an eSports stadium looks like. Well, first of all, it centers around huge digital screens that have the capability to be able to focus in on the individual player and the game itself. So very high-tech digital screens. Then you add in surround sound, you add in incredible lighting, and you, you then also feature the opportunity for all of the, the audience to be able to tap in uh, through Wi-Fi to, the, to their favorite players, but then it goes out to millions. But then also, let's talk about adding luxury suites. Uh, around the edge, just like our other sports and, and the VIP packages 
and to actually experience it, to see the behind the scenes workings of what goes in to an esports athlete. So obviously you are in charge of a significant public trust. You have the legacy of public-private partnerships with sports as an economic engine, but you're also the trustee of a substantial amount of public dollars as well. How do you view the whole world of public investment in sports facilities, and you know, what would you say to somebody who said, let's not spend money on sports, let's spend it on something else? Well, it's very important now, and especially in our communities, that we do invest. Uh, we don't bury the tax dollar. We invest it so that we can multiply it so that that $1 turns into 3 or $4 we have to spend to repair our streets and take care of public safety. Well, in Arlington, Texas, uh, we have had decades of experience of making money on sports. And consequently, our city, we have some of the lowest property and sales taxes of anywhere in the country because of the return that we have. So this made sense for us because we do know how to partner and work. And it, uh, coincidentally, we had four of our local sports team owners to buy eSports mm -hmm. franchises. We had the Cowboys and the Joneses. We had two of the Ranger owners to each buy a team. And Mark Cuban with the Mavericks bought a team. So the interesting piece, obviously, is that your existing owners believe in the future of esports. But as the trustee of the public dollars that go to a facility like this, uh, the predictions of success for esports, what basically sold you on the sport as a sport? Rick, that's a great uh, question because we did a performa. We actually went through and looked at what are the sources of revenue that could take place here. And, of course, the obvious one is you have the space rental to the esports tournaments. You have the ticket sales that are going on. Then you also have the advertiser and sponsorship dollars, but then also the opportunity through the networks of live streaming and TV producing. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Who thought people would be watching poker on TV? And now we see, uh, conversely, the world of gaming is so much more engaging. And then we also see the invention of virtual reality, an augmented reality, and, and the climb to that. That's a part of our tourism. Right now, go to the Harry Potter world, and you see very much of that. So uh, it is, and then when you see the amount of money that's being expended by great corporations because they want to advertise to the millennials, and so they're advertising with esports, that literally has made up uh, hundreds of millions of dollars now in this industry. It also has caused very successful business people to buy these teams. Well, for us, when we looked at all the opportunity to share in each of that and literally just uh, remodeling an existing space into something that we can use for a lot of different things, even beyond eSports, it was a no-brainer, and we have moved quickly. You have absolutely moved quickly, and therefore the question about competitive landscape. Cities are in an arms race for teams and for mega events. What is the competitive landscape relative to eSports tournaments? Well, I think it's going to be very competitive, and that's why we wanted to move and be one of the first out of the gate and establish ourselves as a leader in eSports. So consequently, we are remodeling an existing space. 
We have uh, uh, done all of our homework and moved forward here because we plan on having tournaments this November and to go ahead and start this November and enter into that landscape because, as I mentioned earlier, and you know this, Rick, the demand is there as we speak. Yeah, which is always important to understand that the place is going to be full on day one or rentable on day one. What are your key, now that you are a a world-renowned student on the esports industry, what are the key economic drivers that you look at to uh, uh, evaluate the future of the sport? Is it television? Is it uh, what are the, what are some of the other factors? Well, it's interesting uh, because of our experience and what we've seen in, in baseball and football in particular, the TV networking and the live streaming, I think, are the key for this to become a huge sport, even more so than what it is now. And we've seen the growth of baseball and football has been key to TV. TV has driven it. Well, I think we need to go a little bit further, and if you'll study a little bit about Twitch and see that live streaming and the opportunity to be going through different networks is phenomenal. So that is where the money could just exponentially grow. As a fan, assume you've got to be a sports fan. You can't live in Arlington, Texas without being a sports fan. What? How did, how did you cross the Rubicon? Did you go to an event? Did you watch it on TV? Did you see one of those original Turner broadcasts and say, hey, this isn't sports, but at the end it was? What kind of turned you on about this? Well, myself, I've uh, been a big fan of, of video games, but yet I had to be convinced this was a great business. So, yes, we studied hard, and, yes, I've gone on the Internet. I've watched the games themselves, and then we happened to have the national college champion of eSports in our city for colleges, and it's the University of Texas at Arlington. They won this year. And to see the excitement there, and here's a side benefit, Rick, that I think is really important. We will be able to attract and to keep a lot of our millennials in town because of the cool factor of eSports. How hard was it to sell politically your council, a bunch of naysayers, the media, the newspapers about this as being not only a sport but a good public-private investment in the business? Well, it was very interesting. Um, Needless to say, I have a council uh, that has several retired people, older people, very conservative business people. But however, when they were able to study it themselves and look at the numbers and then look at the popularity of it, it went quick. Uh, But however, the study and homework had to be done first. But after that happened, uh, they are all in. And I can tell you the enthusiasm for eSports It's amazing when I go around, I hear we are home to the Cowboys, home to the Rangers, and yet uh, everywhere I go, people want to talk about eSports. That's the topic of conversation these days. And this is an international broadcast, international distribution. The beauty, one of the other beauties of this, I think, is because of the way media travels these days, the tournaments don't just have to be localized to North America. You can be a destination around the world as well. Yes, the uh, video gaming has been around a long time, in fact, several decades. And so consequently, there are video game participants and fans already established around the world, not just here in the U.S., so they're all ready to go. And then the communication, because right now a gamer in Arlington, Texas, may be playing someone in uh, Thailand. You know, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. 
the Supreme Court has allowed all states to enter the feeding frenzy of organized gambling. Some states are doing it quicker than others. Some states want to take a piece for infrastructure. Almost everybody does. Some teams and leagues want to get in the middle of that. Somewhat related, but somewhat separate to where does that all fit in in your world, and how do you, all, how do you feel about that? Well, we're studying again. We have a change uh, now in the opportunity here uh, for sports gambling and how it is and what it is. And then we even hear the uh, term of an integrity fee uh, potentially being charged by the professional sports franchises. So don't have an answer yet, Rick, because we need to study more. But we are studying it. So is everybody else in the world <laughs> trying to figure out how to deal with that. Uh, the future question as well about the Olympics. You know, it used to be the conversation about this wasn't a sport. Now Thomas Bach, the head of the Olympic Committee, and others are saying we need to study it as well. As long as we don't have violent games in the middle of it, we might be interested in doing it ourselves. How do you see that all playing out? Well, that was a, a real revelation for me to see that these people really are athletes that are participating in these sports. They uh, have nutritionists, uh, they have trainers, uh, they are being put through both rigorous physical and mental competitions. So I think it's very worthy of an Olympic sport. So bottom line is, next five years, City of Arlington, where does this facility go? What does it look like? What kind of events are happening? And the economics of it. Talk about that. Well, imagine a world event of esports in which we have our esports stadium uh, generated. We have our 40,000-seat New Texas Rangers ballpark with a huge 200-foot screen that we see demonstrations taking place and tournaments taking place there and the big kahuna at&t stadium having all of that energized all for esports and in fact if you see a video game on a 60 yard by 70 foot tall screen it is a sight to behold and i've seen that in at&t stadium and it could be a spectacular world esports event in arlington texas the problem with Mayor Jeff Williams is that he's not passionate enough about what he speaks about. I'm living, moving from Jupiter, Florida today to move to Arlington just so I can support this project. Jeff Williams, thank you very much. Thank you, really Rick. Appreciate, appreciate it. So Jeff Williams has a lot of perspective on this. And at the end of that panel discussion we had, there were 15 mayors who were all lining up. They don't line up for anything at the end of these deals because there were other committees that were happening, but they all lined up. Where do I get a prepackaged kit of how to do this kind of thing? And, of course, and we'll talk about it. But one of the beauties is that cities can take an active role. They can actually sponsor game makers, bring those businesses in. They can put events on, like Jeff Williams did in this convention center. Or they can also have teams and leagues who come in. There are a lot of different things, and it's not the zeros that are caused by building new stadiums, new arenas. Same economic impact, same people coming into town, but a lot cheaper. That's a big takeaway. Right, a lot cheaper, a lot a lot uh, less stress on, on the infrastructure. What I thought was interesting about that is that Arlington didn't have a plan. Right, they want. They knew they had a plan to make more money and squeeze more out of the sports stone. Right, so they went to NYU and the business school there, and they were able to come back with a study and say, "Hey, here's something you should look into." And now Arlington had to answer for itself. 
you know, what makes an arena good for esports? What's a good esports venue? And it was interesting, you know, you talk about the screens and the sound that you worry about, you know, when you hear about like Barclays Center, great sight lines for basketball, terrible for hockey, it's caused a big problem. You don't have that problem in esports, right? Because you can you can make anything better by, re, by placing screens. So you have that, you have audience inter, interactivity, you have AR and VR possibilities. But then you talk about luxury suites. And that, all of a sudden, it sounds like the NFL. And the economic equation feels there on a corporate basis around sponsorships, right? So that, that's that dynamic, almost the same dynamic. Sponsorships, by the way, it's not just your dad's sponsorships. It's AT&T, it's Ford, it's the big guys who well, those are Those are my dad's sponsorships. There's your dad's sponsorship. Right. But now we've got the kids, 18-year-olds, who are also with the big zeros, and this is bigger than yeah. anybody would have thought. The other piece of this which is important is that the economics are almost exactly the same. The only difference is that this is the Wild West relative to organization. So as we said in this big panel is the Celtics are one of 17 teams in the NBA and as we said baseball, but there's no full organization that includes everybody. The leagues are going to do it themselves, but these promoters are going to be the ones who drive it. And the cities are very creative about it. A suburban Minneapolis mayor who was in part of this group said, we are redoing a development district in our city and movie theaters, which didn't work before, we now have the lease. What do we do? Well, this there is you a go. great right. example. Right. So any building that looks like it can put up the screens and the suites and interactive becomes a home for this new sports magnet, which is unbelievable. Right. It is. And, and again, the, 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 you have the millennial audience, and they are growing. It's a huge audience. That's why we have to cater to them, right? Exactly. They're starting to make money. This is an accepted leisure activity now. And, you know, with the platforms, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitch, whether it's Twitter, whether it's wherever, you're able to find this community. You're able to plug into it. You see the success of Fortnite, you know, and that's been people get paid huge amount of money from sponsors to to play Fortnite. So there's this whole kind of dynamic going around and this whole industry going around. And I think what's interesting from an old media guy's point of view, Rick, is that live streaming which is a second fiddle in every other sport, right? It's the add-on deal. It's a, hey, we got two games of the NFL on Yahoo. All of a sudden is the primary platform for these things. And TV is kind of an offshoot. It's a nice one. But this is where live streaming is going to come into its full valuation yeah. in, and in terms of sports, right? That, that, that's a wonderful concept because at the same time we heard last week that Amazon bought the exclusive streaming rights to the Laver Cup, which is now going to be a new major they're trying to get that's sponsored by Rod Laver, et cetera. The most important thing is not that Amazon's involved because they're dabbling in a lot of this stuff, but it's exclusive relative to everybody else. So all of these other networks we're talking about are now trying to kick everybody else out. And from a media perspective, what's the big thing that everybody wants to preserve? Well, it's the reality TV aspect. You can't tape it because you're not going to know what's going on. And eSports is exactly the same thing. You know, I don't know what the score is because I haven't cared up until today, and you certainly don't. Right. But if you don't watch it then, somebody's going to tell you, so you better watch it right, right. away. Somebody's, right, exactly. And the audience is this great identifying element between the audience and the players. You know, I can't identify with, you know, um, Mike Trout, right. right? You can't identify with Peyton Manning. Right. But you know what? If I'm a video game player at home, if I'm a gamer, I can identify with the, the person playing the esports because basically I can do that or maybe he's great at it, but I can aspire to it in a much more, in a much more resident way. And it's, a, it's again, it flattens out, the, it, the world is getting flatter, right? So it flattens out the, the, the distance between the audience and the game. And, and interesting concept, 
So Mark Miles, who runs IndyCar Racing, and he is looking at evaluating his entire sports platform. He wasn't there, but we had a conversation about what to say. And he said, look, tell these people that this is the most important thing to me because when you look at those 700,000 people at Indy 500, well, they can't play basketball, but they sure can drive a car. Yeah. And, and they can drive a car with eSports. And actually, Miles, um, IndyCar does have a deal that includes some eSports yeah, in it, and right? You know, the how, new remember NBC deal, right? Two, two weeks yeah. ago, we yeah. talked with Mark. Yes. And this was a classic, where do we go? And now this is a big industry like everyone else. So enough fawning over the eSports. Yeah. You tell me, what's going to be the, the development um, for the league, what's the what's going to be the way? The NBA is there, uh, MLB, NFL, NHL will probably get there. But what's going to push them there to make it an economic imperative as opposed to a tangential derivative, and not in a bad way, but a tangential derivative business? That is a wonderful question because the structure leverage control isn't that obvious. The leagues, as we said, they'll all do their thing. Cities want to do their thing and organize. The television networks want to as well. But and the, the gaming the companies are also the gaming, gaming companies, promoters. This next generation esport company, which really preempts the field, was there as well, and they're really prolific with the number of events they have. So, is the does the promoter control kind of like boxing, kind of like UFC? Where does the overall structure go? Right. I can't answer that. But based on what we heard at this panel, five or six different entities kinds of entities have a chance of controlling this industry. And the one thing we both know is, A, you and I better study a lot about it because right. we're old and we better know about it. And B, this thing is a $200 billion industry, but it's growing really fast. Yeah, but to me, that seems like a risk factor. Anytime you compare an organizing principle of boxing yeah. <laughs> to something, <laughs> well put. It, it's a risk or factor. Or maybe wrestling. It's now, wrestling, now WWF is a little bit different, though. Right, but that took a long economics. time to happen. Yeah, Remember, I mean, there used to be yeah. three or four different wrestling yeah. leagues in the U.S., um, and, and it took WWE to get really corporate to get in there. There's going to have to be that kind of roll-up tendency, and who's going to be driving it? Is it going to be Amazon driving it? Is it going to be Activision driving it? Is it going to be the NFL driving it? And we know all of them think they should be driving it because they all see themselves as the preeminent asset. Um, but who's going to win? How's that struggle going to play out? Well, the beauty of this, as always, is that you can tell we're both pretty passionate about this as an emerging sport, and we have a lot of questions. We have very few answers, but that's the way it always is. Rick Haro, Dan Calaruso, speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.